Go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6 this morning. And uh, just by way of giving you hope, you have an outline on your table there. I don't expect that we will get through that entire thing. And so if, if we're like getting close to noon and you're like, man, he's got a long way to go. We may not get lunch today. Um, know that I expect this to be a couple of parts. And, uh, but wanted you to have the entire, entire handout there. So, uh, so last week we, we began thinking about what it means to be a biblical parent and, and we were thinking together about the fact that God has a lot more that he is doing than just parenting and families, that, that marriage and family fit in a bigger picture of what God is about. And so if we are going to be the kind of parents God intends us to be, We've got to keep a bigger perspective than just what's going on with us and our kids and, you know, just surviving the day or, or seeing them be, you know, at a stage where, where it, it, life functions well at our home, if that's possible, or whatever it is that we're striving for. And, and so our goal has to be the glory of God, living ultimately for him to see him praised and, and the exaltation of Christ, both in our lives and then desiring that in our, our kids and and that's what our, our vision has to be, which means that's going to be chief in our pursuit. And our kids are going to see that, hopefully, in our example and desire that and delight in, in Christ. And, and that shows up in how we respond to all the different circumstances of life. I was thinking about that even this weekend as, as our, um, my wife's sister moves to Turkey. You know, our, our girls have loved her. She's been a single aunt in uh in in the area here and so she has done a great job of loving our kids and and doing special things with them and so when they learned that shannon was going to move to turkey they were not real happy um because they were focused on them and and again we get that we're not we're not thrilled that she won't be close but we see what God is doing in a broader way than that. She happens to be going to a country where there's very few evangelicals, and she's not officially a missionary to that country, but she's a believer who's going there, who's committed to Christ and the gospel, and trying to help our kids see this is, this is a good thing for the glory of Christ, and, and, uh, and it's a gift to her. And, and, uh, you know, but those are, those are situations where if our focus isn't what it needs to be ourselves, when it's easy for it not to be, you know, we, we miss those opportunities. And so just trying to, to help ourselves and our children see that Christ is ultimately what we live for. And, uh, and yet at the same time, we have questions about, so what do we do as parents? How do we live? What, what methods do we employ? And what does this look like in our home? And and we didn't talk a lot about that last week, but we want to get into that beginning now. But um, again, it's not just a to-do list. It's not just boxes we can check and say, hey, if we do this ourselves, we'll be great and our kids will be great. It's, it's we've got to have the broader perspective of our character matters, our love for Christ matters, our, our focus on him is what drives these things. So look at Ephesians chapter 6. Thankfully, in God's providence, he, he keeps instructions to parents relatively simple. That doesn't mean that it's easy. It just means that it's pretty simple what we're called to do. And uh, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul lays out for us what we are called to do as parents. He, he begins this chapter speaking of, of children as he's in a section detailing the relationships that uh, are to be 
uh, true in a family of marriage and, and children and parent relationships and calls children to obey their parents in the Lord, verse 1, and to honor their father and mother, verse 2. And then verse 4, he transitions and says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He, he's speaking to fathers. We said last time that, that husbands, that men have a unique role of headship and, and so play a critical role. It doesn't mean that mothers aren't to do these things. He's just acknowledging that role in, uh, in his instruction here. And he says, don't provoke your children to anger. We'll talk more about that in a little while, but bring them up or, or nourish them. The same idea that he used speaking to husbands in, in chapter five, to, to care for, to tend, to, to bring up as it's translated here. Bring them up, nurture them, cause them to grow in two ways, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Essentially, he gives us two tools for our toolbox. Two things that we are to use as we are bringing our children up, bring them up in or through discipline or training and instruction or, or admonition. And, and so we're going to spend the next couple of, uh, of weeks looking at those two different things. We're going to start with discipline, and, and it's not that they're always neat and tidy in practicality. It's not like you can always say, okay, well, I'm going to go from discipline and training, and now I'm going to change my hat, and I'm going to go to instruction. They're often woven together uh, practically, but we're going to focus on them separately, although we'll, we'll overlap some as we go. And, and so he, he gives these two different ideas, discipline and instruction, and, and they're, they're more similar than they, they look probably in English. We think of discipline primarily as what, would you say? Yeah, yeah maybe spanking or, uh, or you know, we, we think more in what has typically been called punishment. I hope we don't think about it as punishment. Punishment is more, you know, you get what you deserve. It, there's not the, the corrective training aspect of that. But we tend to think of discipline as my child did something wrong and I am responding to them. And instruction, my child hasn't done anything wrong yet and I'm trying to help them to not do something wrong. I'm instructing them kind of on the front end. And, and there's a sense in which that's, that's not entirely uh, wrong, but discipline is, is more than just my child did something wrong and I am correcting them. It is that, but it's more. One, uh, one author defines this this way as, as structured guidance and restraint, a, a discipline. It's used in, in Hebrews 12. We're going to look at Hebrews 12 quite a bit here in a little while of the discipline of the Lord. It is for discipline that you endure, he says. Without discipline, um, you are illegitimate children. All discipline seems uh, not to be joyful but sorrowful in the moment. It, it's used in 2 Timothy 3, a verse that you're familiar with, verse 16, all scripture is profitable for training. So it's, it's not simply discipline, it's, it's training as well. The second word there, instruction, does include more verbal warnings, more verbal instruction. It's, it's translated instruction in 1 Corinthians 10. It's translated as warning in Titus 3, verse 10. You know, if you were to, to think about those two different things, discipline, training, and, and verbal instruction, which is probably more fun for parents and kids, sort of? 
you know, it's probably more the instruction side of things. Most of us as parents are more inclined to sit around and listen to ourselves talk, even if our kids aren't really listening, um, than we are to actively engage in the, in the training and particularly discipline. So uh, both are vital, but, but discipline is particularly a challenge to be consistent in for, for many of us. Now, when we focus on discipline, again, we, we tend to think of, okay, they did wrong, what do we do? Um, but I, I want us to broaden that as, as scripture would call us to, because really when the Bible speaks of discipline, there's a couple different senses that, that uh, come into to play with this. There is what we would think of as corrective discipline. It's translated uh, and it speaks of discipline in, in ways like to discipline or, or other words to chastise, to chasten, to reprove, to correct. That is discipline in response to sin. And, and God does that for us. We'll see that as we look at some examples of scripture today. God responds to sin with correction, with discipline that is intended to correct. Now, is that like getting arrested and going to jail? That's just punishment? No, it's, it's corrective in its intent. It's responding to sin, not simply to say, well, if you did that, I'm gonna get back at you in this way. It's, it's I wanna train you in, in away from that. So there is corrective discipline, discipline in response to sin, but there's also what we could describe as more formative training. Training that uh, is, is preemptive. And the Bible uses words like discipline and train and instruct. If you think of maybe like a football practice, when you go to a football practice, you will often see players run. Or my kids play basketball. At practice, they have to run uh, and run up and down the court for uh, do suicide or different things like that. Why do players run at sports practice? Yeah, they run because they, they need to. They need to get in shape, right? And so some of that training is purely because we are preparing you for what you need for what's going to happen. What are other reasons why players run at sports practice sometimes? Yeah, because they messed up. Yeah, sometimes they run because they didn't do what they were supposed to do in the last game or at practice or whatever it is. And so in some ways you could say running at a sports practice could be formative training. This is just what you need to do, and it's hard, and it's, but it's preparing you for that. And sometimes you could say it's corrective. It's to keep you from the stupid penalties that you were doing in the game, or whatever it is. It's training you in that way. Now, does it look different when you're running? Nope. You're running. It's hard. Sometimes it's really hard because you have to run a lot. But uh, it, it looks oftentimes similar, um, but it's, it's different uh, focuses. You can think about that with your kids. Maybe uh, I have one of my girls who is cleaning the bathroom. Well, that may be simply something that we are, are training and, and have a regular routine and expectation of them to do, and that's intended to teach them some things. It may be intended to teach them how to work hard. It may be intended to teach them how to serve others. It may be intended to help them get over their fear of gross things and because that's a part of life that we want them to see. It may be how to care for one, one's home, to be a good steward. Um, it, it may be just doing what you've been asked to do and, and serving in those ways. That could be training. 
We're training them in that way. But it may be that they're cleaning the bathroom because they did not do something that they were supposed to do. They, they didn't obey mom all afternoon. And so when dad got home from work, after a conversation with them, it's that, okay, you need to do something to remind you that obedience is important and that sin has consequences. And so in addition to all those things, it's now helping them to see the consequences that sin has. Now, we're not gonna... Uh, we're gonna, not going to talk about both aspects of that in everything that we say about discipline and everything that the Bible says, but I do want you to keep both of those ideas in mind because both are critical and, and important for us. Um, and the Bible says much about those things. And so when we think about discipline, corrective training, formative training, what does that need to look like and, and what do we need to keep in mind as we do that? I want to give us five realities that should shape our discipline or training. The first being that our discipline must be shaped by the nature of our children, by the nature of our children, by who they are and what they're like, by how God has made them. Now, when you think of your kids, you may think about all kinds of different things that are true of them. You know, they're cute. Woo we love our cute kids. Um, you know, no kids are as cute as your kids, and we all know that. Um, you know, but, but beyond that, beyond the, the physical appearance and, and those characteristics of kids, you know, what is it that are some fundamental realities that shape our discipline? I, I want us to think first about the fact that your kids are made in the image of God. We looked at this briefly last week. Genesis 1.27 speaks of how God made man in his image doesn't define all that is involved with that, but man in, and woman is to reflect the character of God and is made to reflect the character and image of God. Uh, and as a result of that, that affects how we think about other people and how we treat other people. When you think of discipline and your kids as image bearers of God, how does that affect and shape how we discipline? Okay, yeah, so we are to treat all people, regardless of their age or race or gender, with honor and dignity that is befitting an image bearer of God, and that is true of our kids. So much of what is passed off as discipline is, is not treating somebody with honor and dignity, and, and so falls short of what God would call us to. As we discipline our kids, we cannot lose sight of the fact that we are to treat them with the appropriate honor and dignity. Now, does that mean we never enforce consequences? No, but it means that we uh, fundamentally view them as, as valuable and as, as worth um, uh, the, the care and attention that God would call us to. They're, they're not only image bearers of God deserving of, of dignity and honor, but they are going to exist for all of eternity. You think about that with your kids? You know, sometimes we have short-term goals for our kids like getting out of diapers, and those are good things and good goals. Um, you know, then it maybe goes beyond that and eventually to getting out of the house, but we need to think about the fact that God's word says our children will exist for all of eternity, either in heaven or hell. How, how does that affect our thinking about discipline and training? To realize that your children are not just made for this life here on earth. Yeah, absolutely. We, we see that there's a lot more at stake than simply this life now. 
And so we want to direct them towards a relationship with, with God. That is what is of, of utmost important, right? You know, our kids are, are image bearers of God, deserving dignity. They are, uh, are going to exist for eternity, either in heaven or hell. Uh, they, uh, there is much more at stake than simply this life. What about our kids' morality? When most people think of kids, if you were to take a poll of 20 people um, out on the street one day, um, about the, the morality of kids, and you ask them, are, are kids born inherently good or morally neutral or wicked and evil? What do you think most would respond as? Yeah, most would say good. Some might say they're morally neutral and, and uh, that that will, will shape the, uh, the, the thinking uh, of them. Most would view them that way, but the scriptures say that your kids by nature are unfortunately sinners. And it doesn't take long to see that. Um, they are born with a moral compass, but they are not morally neutral. So they understand right and wrong, not fully from the time they are born, but uh, uh, as they grow and develop, and yet they rebel against that. They are, are sinful. Proverbs twenty two fifteen puts it this way, and this describes... Every child I've had or been around, um, it, it, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. I mean, doesn't that describe your children? Some of you may have too young of children to fully see that expressed, but it's like there is, there is folly bound up in the heart of a child. And don't, we, we can't think of ourselves as outside of that. Guess what we were? We were children and, uh, and foolishness was bound up in our heart and uh, apart from God's grace, it, it, that is still what would be the dominant characteristic of us. So foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. Uh, that proverb goes on and says, the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Foolishness is, is bound up and, and the result of that is a priority of discipline. Foolishness is the, the way of sin, the disposition and pattern of rebellion against God. J.C. Ryle put it this way. He said, remember, children are born with a decided bias toward evil. And therefore, if you let them choose for themselves, they're certain to choose wrong. He's not saying they will do that in every situation, in every case, but as a pattern of life, says the mother cannot tell what her tender infant may grow up to be, tall or short, weak or strong, wise or foolish, in a, in a sense of smarts is the way he's using that. He may or may not be any of these. It is all uncertain, but one thing the mother can say with certainty, he will have a corrupt and sinful heart. It is natural for us to do wrong. Our hearts are like the earth on which we tread. Let it alone, and it is sure to bear weeds. See, kids left to their own desires will continue to grow in their rebellion against God. It's, it's not an option to do nothing for them. If your kids were basically good or even morally neutral, we could simply reward positive behavior uh, and, and that would be sufficient, but that's not the case. You know, it's kind of like, um, that, that's more the mindset of, of, for the little bit of reading I've done on modern dog training, because I have a dog who needs training. Um, the, the chief way that, you know, that, that uh, people would say to do that is, you know, just reward good. Um, don't whack him on the head. I have found that even my dog is corrupt and needs a good <laughs> whacking on the head um, at times. But, 
that's 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 what is true of our kids is they they can't they will not just go the right way with a little bit of encouragement they are inherently wanting to go the wrong way your kids need discipline it's a a rescue mission proverbs 23 13 and 14 says this do not hold back discipline from the child and we'll We'll talk about these verses a little bit more later. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Do you think of that, uh, that, that idea of discipline being a rescue mission for your kids? That they are on a path towards hell and by disciplining your children, you are seeking to rescue them from that path. That's a bigger deal, isn't it? That motivates more consistency than just, I hope that they you know, don't, uh, don't create issues in our house and they'll obey me when I want them to do chores. Oh, this is a rescue mission because they are, are by nature on a course towards hell. This means our discipline is, is more... Th- uh, than just focused on changing behavior. It's, it's about their heart. It's about them being drawn to submit themselves to the Lord. And there's certainly, like we talked last week, a balance of God's sovereignty and our responsibility. We can't do that in and of ourselves. But God has said, this is the means that I, I want you to use so that, um, that, that that may be accomplished in their life. Understanding the nature of our kids helps us to recognize the importance of parental discipline. One more quote that I think I put on your handout there by John Engel Engel James said, A gardener may sow the choicest seeds, but if he neglects to pluck up weeds and prune wild overgrowth, he must not expect to see his flowers grow or his garden flourish. And so a parent may deliver the best instructions, but if he does not by discipline eradicate evil tempers, correct bad habits, repress wicked corruptions, nothing excellent can be looked for. That resonates with me because we live by a, a large field and so my grass is, my yard, I, grass is probably the wrong word, is mostly weeds. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, just see how it, it, and all of you who have, have yards know that it doesn't just go okay on its own. You know, it's a constant battle to get something to grow where you want it to grow and not grow where you don't want it to grow. And we, you know, we, we struggle to figure that out. And so it is with our, our kids' hearts and our hearts. So our discipline has to be shaped by the nature of our kids. But not only that, secondly, by God's discipline of his children. Turn to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. I want us just to briefly walk through two passages, Hebrews 12, which gives a snapshot of God's discipline in principle form, and then Deuteronomy 8, which gives a snapshot of God's discipline more in picture form, an illustration of it. Hebrews 12 um, describes God's discipline this way, beginning in verse 4. He says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. 
It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Who does he say God disciplines? All legitimate children. If, if you are a son to God, you can expect that he will discipline you, and you will expect that there will be plenty of times where that discipline is not pleasant. In verse 9, he says, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much uh, rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? He says, earthly fathers discipline, and that cultivates a, a heart of respect. How much more should that be the case when God disciplines us? For verse 10, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who've been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We'll, we'll talk more about that. Keep your finger there and turn to Deuteronomy 8. And I want you to see a, a picture of this. Deuteronomy 8 is Moses uh, speaking to the people prior to going into the promised land. They've been in the wilderness. They're preparing to go in. And, and verse 5 of Deuteronomy 8, he says, Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. He's describing what God did, how God interacted with them. And he's saying, this is how God disciplined you just as a man disciplines his son. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 8. And he says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers, forefathers. You shall remember all the way in which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son." Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper and when you've eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statues which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you've eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out from the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground and uh, where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock. 
In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise you would say, my power and strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers in this day. And, and he continues in that theme. So how did God discipline the nation of Israel as a father disciplines his own son? What did he do in chapter 8 there? Or what's he describing that he had done for them? Yeah, he, he humbled them. Why did he do that? Okay. Yeah, to, to show them their need for him. Okay, so they wouldn't become proud. What was his plan for them? Yeah, he, he was looking towards the future, wasn't he? He said, this is where I'm bringing you, but I, if I bring you there without discipline, I know it's going to happen. You're going to get there and you're going to say, this is awesome. And it's all because of us. And you're going to be proud and you're going to forget the Lord. So he says, I, I know where I'm bringing you. I know where you're going and it's good. But I need to prepare you to go there with discipline, with hard things. Now, was that corrective discipline or formative discipline? Yeah, it was, it was a little bit of both. They disobeyed, and so they got to spend 40 years in the wilderness. But it wasn't that every single person there you know, was, had, had disobeyed. It was also formative. It was intentionally preparing them for the future. And so as we think about God's discipline of his children, what do we, what do we learn? Well, I want us to think first about God's relationship to his children. Who is it that is disciplining in these texts? Well, it is God. And is his only, the only truth about his relationship to his children that he disciplines them? No, he says every child will be disciplined, but that is not the only thing that characterized a child's relationship with their, with their parent, right? What had God done to the nation of Israel or for the nation of Israel in addition to disciplining them? Yeah, he brought them out of slavery in Egypt, right? So this was not the first interaction that Israel had with God was he stuck us in the wilderness with scorpions and let us learn to be hungry so we could trust him, right? No, it was he rescued them, he brought them out of slavery in Egypt and in that context of relationship and, and love and rescue, he is now disciplining them. How about, how about us? I mean, in Hebrews chapter 12, the, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. This is flowing out of all that God has done for us in, in Christ. And so God's relationship with his children is that of a loving father who has sacrificially met their need, in our case, through Christ, in the case of Israel, it was a, a loving father who redeemed them out of slavery, who was leading them into the promised land. He was a, a loving father to them. He, um, there was a context of that relationship. We also see he's, he's an authority over them, right? I mean, he's telling them, I'm giving you all kinds of commands that you need to obey when you get into the promised land. Both of those are key elements for us as parents as we seek to discipline. 
we, we tend to think of those as kind of mutually exclusive. I can be the loving father or I can be the authority. Which am I going to be today? No, we can be a loving father who is an authority, um, but it, it needs to be both. I think the prevailing mindset in, in our culture is, is more that we just want to be our kids' friends or our kids' advisor, and that is um, ultimately where we hope we get to, but if we start there, we'll, we'll never get there. We've got to start as a, a loving father who is an authority over them. And, and who do we see as disciplined by God? We see, we talked a little bit about this, that God disciplines every one of his children whom he loves, Hebrews 12 said. Those who are his sons, those whom he loves, who have been loved by him. Again, there's more to being a son than simply being disciplined. We need to be demonstrating a, a loving relationship with our children and then in that context to be um, to be disciplining. Discipline must be exercised in the context of a loving family relationship. If I walked into your house this afternoon and maybe your kid knows who I am because they've seen me at church, but maybe not, and I started to do something that is appropriate for you to do in the context of discipline, but they didn't have that relationship with me, how would that go? Pretty poorly, I mean, they, they would at least have the wrong impression of me if all I did was discipline. You know, even as a, as a family pastor, sometimes there are children whom I know I'm gonna maybe get to have more conversations with that are hard than others. It's none of your kids, don't worry. Um, and, um, and so those are kids who I intentionally, when I see them in the hall and they're not doing something bad, Man, they're kids I look for and high five and, you know, try to build a, a, a relationship that I love you and care about you because I know that, yeah, you know, I might get to have a conversation or two with you during VBS week or something. Um, you know, so it's, it's building those, that relationship in total so that there's a clarity of this is done because of love and because this person cares for me in those ways. What are ways you cultivate a loving family relationship in your home for your kids. How do they, how do they know that's what, what the, the overall context is? Yeah, you tell them, I love you. Does God tell his people that he loves them? He does. How else? Yeah, you, you delight in them, you enjoy them, you be with them. How else? Yeah, affection, you show that in affectionate ways. You show that in how you care for them and protect them. What did God just say about you know, how he treated them in the wilderness? He, he did withhold some things from them, but he provided what they needed. He cared for them in those ways. Discipline takes place in that, that context. Why does God discipline his sons? What is, he, what is he doing for them? Well, he is disciplining them, I think we could summarize it this way, for their good and maturity as preparation for the future. You see that in, in Deuteronomy 8, where God clearly is saying, hey, I'm, I'm taking you into the promised land and it's great, but I wanna prepare you to be there. I, I want you to, to be uh, uh, recognizing certain realities about yourself and about me so that when you get there, you are prepared to handle that with maturity. You see that in Hebrews 12 as well, where he, he disciplines for our good so that we may share in his holiness. 
He, he's got a, a goal in mind preparing for that. What are those specific goals? Well, he wants them to obey him, to come under his authority and, and to possess the appropriate humility and dependence on the Lord. And he wants them to be like him. We see that particularly in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. He says, our fathers disciplined us for a short time. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And he says, discipline for those who've been trained by it in verse 11. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's what God wanted for Israel. He wanted them to to learn to trust and obey him, to share in his character, to be humble before him, dependent upon him. Ultimately, to share in a, a future inheritance. God had a goal for his children. He, he was eager for them to come under his authority. But, not that, but for us, it's not simply about our authority. We, we do discipline our kids so that they learn to be under our authority. But more than our authority, we want them ultimately to come under God's authority. We want them to submit themselves to him. One author put it this way. I think I put the quote on your handout as well. He says, our motive, our motive for discipline is to bring our children into a subordinate relationship to the authority of the living God and not just to ourselves. If we seek to make our children submit to us alone, we have failed in our biblical responsibility. Rather, God says we are to bring them into submission to him. All our discipline, nurture, instruction, and warning must be framed in this context to bring them to the point where they become obedient disciples of Jesus Christ. We want them to come underneath his authority, which part of that does mean coming underneath our authority because God has called them to that. And we want them to be holy, to share in his likeness. In, in the, the Deuteronomy 8 passage, what did that look like for them? How was God trying to drive them to holy character? Well, he was wanting them to not be mastered by their own appetites. You know, he wanted them to to not have some things for a while so that when they had those things, they could appreciate them as good gifts, but not be um, in a position where they had to have them or where they were mastered by those things. And, And he wanted them to share and wants us to share in his affections, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates. Well, how does God get us there? How does God discipline us? What are the means of God's discipline? Well, we we see a number of things here and in the example in Deuteronomy 8 and elsewhere in Scripture. Discipline involved for them teaching and instruction, and it, it does involve that. God would and does instruct, and that's a part of training. But it, it involves more than that. It it also for Israel involved rules and consequences and rewards rules with the accompanying consequences and rewards if you think of um, the law that God gave to Israel which was not sufficient for their salvation but was a part of his training them to live in accordance with his character he said these are the things that will happen if you follow me And these are the things that will happen if you choose not to. 
And so much of the narrative of the Old Testament is the consequences of disobedience and the rewards and blessings of obedience. They got a lot more of the consequences than the blessings. And, and again, that wasn't sufficient to change their heart, but it was part of what God was, uh, was using to train them, even as we see in Deuteronomy chapter, uh, chapter 8. He, he trained them and disciplined them by circumstances that would shape and develop and test their character. Again, the prevailing mindset in uh, at least most American families and parents is that we want to protect our children from hard things. And, and again, that's not uh, an inherently bad idea to say, hey, we want to keep our kids from from trials and hardships and hard things. It doesn't mean that like when it's 20 degrees outside, you say, you're wearing shorts and a t-shirt because you need to experience hard things. No, it's not that. But when, when hard situations come up in our lives or our kids' lives, you know, our natural reaction is I want to, to keep them from that. You know, so if our kid's in a class that's hard, our first reaction is how can we get them in a different class? We don't react as, oh, maybe God has brought this hard circumstance to teach and train them. Again, that doesn't mean we always leave them in as hard of situations as possible or we intentionally put them in as hard of situations as possible all the time, but we do that some of the time and we do allow those things for a purpose. He, he put them in circumstances to shape and develop and test their character. Again, think of Israel in the wilderness. I mean, 40 years is a long time. I, I don't know that we appreciate that because we can read Deuteronomy 8 in about four minutes. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, that was great that God did that to them. Wait a minute. Did you hear all the things he mentioned? The scorpions, mm, the manna, which was great for about two meals. And then, you know, what did they want? You know, he, he, he put them in hard situations and he allowed them to grow through those things. He also disciplined them through provision and withholding. Again, we don't have time to look at everything God did with Israel, but they, he, he gave them manna. They responded eventually by complaining about the manna that God had provided. What did they ask for? Give us meat. And so what did God do? Did he say, no, I'm going to spank you for asking and being ungrateful? No. He said, you want meat? I'll give you meat. I give so much meat. Last thing you're ever going to want is meat. <laughs> because I'm going to give you meat. You want that desire? I'll give it to you. Why did he do that? Was he, was he mad at them? Hmm, fine. If you don't like my manna, I'll give you meat. No. He, he said, if that's what you think would satisfy you, I'll give you all that and more. And you'll learn what? That that does not satisfy you. That that is not all that you want and all that you would, would desire. Now, how do we do all those things as parents? Well, we, we need great wisdom and doesn't mean we just, you know, always give our kids what they ask for, but it does mean sometimes we might. You know, when your kid says, hey, you know, I got this big bag of candy. Can I, I'm going to eat it all. And you say, well, I think that's a bad idea. You, you should probably not. And they said, ah, I want it. And you might say, okay. And they might learn that, oh, this was a bad idea. <laughs> my, uh, you know, my stomach is telling me that a little candy, like you said, is better than a lot. Again, that doesn't mean we do that all the time. It doesn't mean you do that with your one-year-old and you don't protect them from themselves. But there are times where we, we do discipline and train them in the variety of ways that God does. Well, how does God discipline? Well, he, he disciplines with patience. He is, 
He is patient. We have experienced that in our own lives. Does God try to change everything about you at once? No, he doesn't. He, he is patient and, and gracious to uh, slowly refine us through a variety of things, but he is consistent in that. He, he is always at work. We see that with Israel. He, he had a plan of what he was doing, what he was accomplishing, and he was working through that, and he was intentional with it. He, he knew this is where you're going, and this is what you need to learn, and this is how I'm going to cultivate that in you. I think in God we see the perfect balance. He is, he is not passive in his discipline, which is how we can be prone to go. He, he doesn't just kind of wait for it to happen when it happens. He's, he's actively pursuing that. But he's also not hyper-scrupulous and harsh. <laughs> you know, we can err on either side of that. Where it's like, okay, I'm going to either ignore everything that's, that I need to address with my kids and maybe tomorrow we'll work on that. Or I'm going to nitpick every single little thing about my kid even though they're eight and I got 10 more years with them to, to try to help them grow and cultivate those things. I think God is a perfect picture of that. So what do we, what do we take from God's example? I, I would just encourage you to reflect on, on four things and there's more, but you know, to think about how does our relationship with our children reflect God's relationship with his children? What are things that a child of God knows about God and his character that, that our kids need to see clearly from us? How do, how do we uh, treat them with love and care and dignity? Do our kids know that we value them and we would sacrifice for them? Do they see that? Now again, that doesn't mean your kids will give the right answer if you ask them because your kids are selfish and they want more. And so your kids may well say, my, my dad doesn't give me everything I need because you have withheld some things from them that they want. But as you look at your life and, and as you maybe talk to your spouse about your interactions with your kids, are you communicating the full balance of the relationship that you desire? Typically that means for dads, we, we wanna grow in in loving our kids and communicating that clearly to them, that we can often come across as more the authority. And that's, that's, a, that's a good thing to be the authority, but we need to balance that with that they know we care and know that we love, not always in that way. Secondly, what are we preparing our children for? What's our long-term vision for our kids? Are, are we just preparing them for next week? Or are we preparing them for the future to, to know and love and serve God. Again, there's different layers of that. Sometimes we are training them because we know that, hey, at some point you're gonna go to a, a class and I want you to be able to sit there for more than two minutes. And so we're gonna train you to that. We're gonna work towards those things. There are intermediate goals, you know, but then there's, there's okay, when, when the Lord, brings you out of our home and into your own family. What are we wanting to see you equipped for in those ways? For eternity, what do we hope is true in your heart that you love Christ most? You know, we want you to, to surpass us in our, our love for Christ. And, and so having that long-term vision of what are we preparing our kids for and what what is it that matters? And, and then what are our specific goals for our children in, in light of this? If that's what we want, how do we get there? 
How do we, how do we um, target specific things like God did that are necessary for them? And what does that look like? How do we train and discipline them to that end? Again, some of that is corrective, but some of that is we want to intentionally put them in positions. Um, uh, again, uh, Christy and I are far from um, perfect in these ways. We, we fall woefully short, but in a class like this, I am the only parent that I know well enough to give examples from, and so I'll share some things that we have tried to do, not because we do them perfectly or in every context, but uh, I'll give you an example of this. We, um, we, um, one of the things we want for our kids, and we think that God wants for our kids, is that they love Christ, and they, because they love Christ, they have a heart for what God is doing around the world. You know, that's part of, Uh, of maturity that we long for them. Can we produce that in them? No, we can't. They they inherently love themselves and their world, as we all do, uh, but we want to try to cultivate those those things. And so uh, um, this last year, we, uh, Christy and I had the chance to go visit some friends who live in Lebanon, Mark and Katie Scarborough. And, And so we took our oldest daughter. Now she was excited to go, but there was also some training in that. There was some, whoa, this is different. And she had to miss some things that she really likes doing here. And she was excited to do that. She's got a friend there. So it wasn't like this was a miserable experience for her, but it was still something that was going to be hard for her. And she got to fly through Dubai and, and see a part of the world that she hadn't seen and, and eat food that she wouldn't normally love. And we're telling her, guess what you get to do? You get to eat it. And I agree with you that that breakfast food in Lebanon is more like lunch and you miss that and it's okay, but you get to eat it and you get to just enjoy that and enjoy that culture. And, and so it's, it's how do we put our kids in positions that will hopefully cultivate the hard attitudes and responses. Now, again, has that revolutionized my daughter in every possible way? Nope. And is that something that I can do? Nope. But it's, a, it's a, a way to try to say, how do we keep you in positions where that's helpful? Again, we try to balance that with, we want them to know that we love them. <laughs> and so I'm not always going to put you in hard situations, especially where I'm like sitting on the sideline, pushing you to do stuff that I'm not willing to do. But we want to we wanna put you in those, in those situations where you are going to be forced to grow and where you're gonna be forced to, to face the realities of your own sin in, in those things. So model our discipline after the discipline of, of God. We also, thirdly, and we'll, I don't know that we'll quite make it through all these, but we'll, we'll do a few of these. We want our discipline to be shaped by the warnings and exhortations of scripture. Scripture gives us some very specific warnings and directions as it relates to our discipline. The first warning that scripture gives is not to neglect discipline when your children are young. Look at Proverbs 19.18. Proverbs 19.18. Now the Proverbs, we're going to look at a number of them, are Proverbs. You say, yeah, that's, that's insightful. Um, what are Proverbs? Are Proverbs ironclad promises. No, they're not. They are principles about how the world generally works as God has designed it. 
And so they are not promises. You can, you can find an example in most cases with a proverb of a time where the opposite happened, but they are generally true and generally what is wise. Proverbs 19.18 says this, it says, discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Now that pulls in that theme of discipline as a rescue mission. If you don't discipline your son, you are desiring his death. Ooh, that's, that's sobering, isn't it? Uh, that doesn't mean that if you fail to discipline today, your son will die today. It means we are to be seeking to rescue our son from the consequences of sin, which is ultimately death. And he says, discipline your son, though, while there is hope. What does that mean? If there is a season where there is hope... That means that there's coming a season where there's what? No hope, right. And again, he doesn't define this specifically for us. He doesn't say, hey, sorry, you missed it. You now have no hope. No, but the implication is there is a season of, in which there is greater hope of shaping your child, and it, it makes sense that that season is when they are what? When they are younger, when they are in those formative years. Now, you could make a case that that is the entirety of the time where they are in your home when you have the opportunity to shape them. I think it's particularly the case when they are, are even, even younger. You know, Proverbs 22.6 is another proverb, if you flip over there, that identifies this idea of being faithful to discipline Early on, and as kids are in our home, he says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is clearly an admonition to train children, and it's clearly an admonition to faithfully train children when they are young so that there is fruitfulness that comes from that when they are old. Now, there is some debate about what this means. Some have taken it to mean if you train a child up in spiritual truth early on, when he's old, he will not depart from it. And it's taken more as a, a promise. That's how it's been commonly expressed. And uh, I don't know that that's the, uh, I don't think that's the, the, the implication here. He's not saying this is a promise. If you're just faithful when your kids are young, when they're old, they won't depart from it. We would love that to be true, but that's not what it's saying. Uh, it could be a warning. Um, some have and it can rightly be read as more of a uh, the, the flip side of that. If you train up a child literally, uh, as verse 6, if you see in the margin note, it says literally according to his way, train up a child in his own way, even when he's old, he will not depart from it. As a warning that if you train your child and, and basically let him go his own way, guess what he's going to do down the road? Well, he's going to continue to go his own way. It could also be more related to kind of the bents of a, of a particular child, train them up according to their personality and their, their character and, and shape your training for them, and that will help them to thrive when they are, are old. My, my chief point is not which of those is right, but the fact that you clearly see uh, the importance of intentionally training while your children are young so that it bears fruit in, in, as we saw in the other verse as well. That is a, a great challenge and encouragement to us. 
You know, again, some of you may have older kids and you may be thinking, man, I wish we had been more faithful younger when they were younger. Is there no hope for us? And I would say, no, they're in your home. You be faithful. You strive to to do what the Lord has called you to. Those kids may learn more from the fact that you've been humble enough to learn and grow over the course of their childhood and teenage years and learn from that and God can use those things. But for those who have young children or younger children, it is an admonition to say, we need to be faithful now. And, and I always, um, you know, oftentimes we'll tell parents of young kids, what is cute now will not be 10 years from now. You know, when, when that child looks at you with their cute little eyes and you say, no, don't do that. And they look at you and they kind of blink at you and, and they do it anyway. And you say, oh, it's so cute. Uh, and then fast forward. And you know, now they're 12 or 16. And, and that same attitude is no longer cute. <laughs> When you're saying, hey, don't do that, and they look at you, and they defy you and do whatever it is that they want. Be faithful at the stage that God has given you. A second warning that Scripture gives, not only to not neglect discipline when our kids are young, is to not discipline in a way that provokes your children to anger. Ephesians 6.4 said, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord Colossians chapter 3, kind of a parallel passage, says this in verse 21. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. A similar idea. This doesn't mean that you are always responsible for your kid's anger. Um, You can you can provoke them to anger or your kids can just get angry because of the sinfulness in their heart. But we do need to be evaluating how are we parenting them and are we doing so in a way that exasperates or frustrates them or that drives them to, to be angry with us. What are, what are some ways you can do that in discipline? How can you provoke your children to anger in discipline? Yeah, if you discipline in anger, if you're mad, we'll talk more about that, if you are upset with them and that's what's driving your discipline, absolutely. What else? Yeah, inconsistency. Yeah, how to exasperate your children. Well, let them live a particular way on Monday and then on Tuesday have all of those things be wrong. And then on Wednesday go back to where, eh, it's fine, you can do that. And then on Thursday, go back to everything's wrong and you will frustrate your children because of the inconsistency, because of the lack of follow through on things. Now again, does that mean that you're always gonna be perfect in every way and that you're not gonna you know, consider the context of things? No, but to be consistent in those things. Consistency among children as well. If you let one child get away with it and the other one not, again, that doesn't mean you don't treat kids differently as they age. It just means striving to be consistent. Something else somebody said? Yeah, overly harsh consequences. Yeah, you you disobeyed, and now you um, you know get something way over the top that does has no bearing on what it was that that you did. Yeah, overly harsh consequences. You know, you didn't do something I said, so you get to sit in your room for a week staring at the wall. It's like, wait a minute. What else? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, 
assuming we know and uh, have the full picture in every case. Okay. Yeah, keeping them at the center of our interactions and, and those things. Could be humiliating a child. You know, they disobey and they deserve discipline. And yet we're going to just humiliate them in front of people. Maybe it's other family members. Maybe it's guests who are at our home. Treat them harshly, demean them. Not treat them with the dignity that God would call us to. Okay, unreasonable expectations. You're too. Go make your bed. You didn't obey. You didn't do what I said. Wait a minute. I can't. But I can't even tell you that I can't. Yeah, having unreasonable expectations. Having unrealistic expectations. Not seeing the difference between foolish rebellion, and we'll talk more about this, and they're a child. <laughs> we, uh, we had a... Uh, well, we, we broke a lot of things this week, actually, at our house, um, which is not normal for us. We have five girls, so it's not, not crazy all the time. But um, for, for whatever reason, we got a string of things this week. Um, one of my daughters, we have our little Alexa thing that's, that sings to us. You know, you say, Alexa, play whatever this is. And uh, we love our Alexa, and it fills our home with lovely music. Um, Alexa fell off the wall and broke her head, um, you know, Humpty Dumpty. Um, one of our girls was caring for a younger nephew as we had lots of people at our house for the wedding and, um, and tripped over the cord and Alexa went flying and Alexa's head fell off and I can't put Alexa back together to work again. Um, and one of my other girls said, oh, are you, Aubrey's going to have to pay like $150 to buy a new Alexa, isn't she? And, uh, and I said, no, she's not. I said, it was an accident. You know, now had Aubrey taken Alexa and in a fit of rage, thrown her into the fireplace, then there might be consequences. And again, Aubrey probably wouldn't, you know, she, she probably wouldn't get to 150 bucks, but there would be consequences for that. But it was just an accident. That happens, right? But sometimes it's those accidents that cause us the most, because something happened, something that was expensive and valued and you broke it. And it was just a kid being a kid and it could have been me but we've got to respond accordingly in those ways. So asking ourselves, especially in those early ages, is this just a childish thing or is this a rebellion? It's the difference in a kid spilling their milk and a kid staring at you after you have told them, do not dump your milk. And they look at you and they smile and they go, <laughs> you know, one of those is deserving of discipline and one of those is not. And if you discipline your kids for everything that they do that is legitimately an accident or a kid being a kid, then they will be frustrated and angry in, in those ways. So yeah, not disciplining in a way that provokes to anger. And then where we'll pick up next week is a, a third exhortation, recognizing that the rod is the primary means God has given to discipline your children. And we'll We'll talk more about that. Again, it's, I say primary intentionally, not only. We saw that God uses a variety of means of discipline. And God is, is I would say, even a, a, go so far as to say God is creative in his discipline. In that he is, is careful to bring things into one's life that, that are appropriate and helpful in training that particular 
uh, child. When I had when I had one child, I probably could have been real definitive with you about here's how you discipline, and this is the exact way that that should look. And now I I can say you know this is what the Bible says, and and there's a variety of ways that's going to be applied as you seek to parent well with wisdom. Um, but the scriptures do present the rod as a primary means. We've read a ton of verses already that mention this. Verse 29 of chapter of Proverbs, sorry, verse 15 of chapter 29 of Proverbs. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 10, verse 13, on the lips of the discerning wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. And on we'll go. Proverbs 22, 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. And so we will pick up there next week and, and talk more about what that looks like, what it means to, to discipline our kids at, at various ages and and uh, how, to, how to do that in a way that takes into account all that we have seen already about God's character and nature and disciplining and it's our heart in that as well. So any, any questions before we uh, wrap up over things that we have covered or other thoughts before we, before we go? Got a couple minutes. All right. Uh, well, let me pray. And if you uh, want to stick around, visit some more and hang out. Uh, happy to do so. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your discipline of us. Lord, we recognize that discipline is often not pleasant. The The difficult circumstances that you put us in, sometimes to to refine us from specific sins, even, even correcting us from specific sins, but oftentimes just to, to form and shape our character, to, to mold us to be what you want us to be and and we thank you that you love us enough to discipline us, that you uh, work intentionally to cultivate us into your own image. And, and Lord, we long to do that with our kids. Lord, we recognize that our kids, apart from your grace, are, are speeding on a path of foolishness that will ultimately lead to hell. And Lord, we desire to be those who are seeking to rescue them from that, who are, are by wisdom and in a, a, a gracious way seeking to discipline and train them towards you and, and to help them to see their sin. Lord, give us grace as we think about those things in the coming weeks. Uh, help us to be faithful as parents in, in striving to discipline our children uh, according to the, the model that you have set for us and according to the, the truth that you have laid out in scripture. We thank you and we entrust our afternoon to you in Christ's name. Amen.